Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges, and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Scott Luton and Constantine Limbarakis with you here on Supply Chain. Now, welcome to today's live stream. Dino, how you doing today? Good morning, Mr. Luton. How are you? I am doing wonderful. Wasn't the best sports weekend, but hey, life's short. I'm okay. Now, I know that your Chicago Bears, we're, we're working on the turnaround plan there. Is that right? Working on, yeah, working on the turnaround as we're building a new stadium, which is going to be imminently close to my house. But we'll see in the next 10 years what that looks <laughs> <laughs> Long term. Okay. All Long right. Yes. Well, hey, folks, today, as you know, this is Supply Chain Buzz, a live show that comes at you every Monday at 12 noon Eastern time. As always, Dino, who's sitting in, Greg White is on assignment. He's probably in the plane in the air somewhere as he heads to a commitment out in the marketplace. So we've got the one and only Constantine Limbarakis with you and me here today. So we're going to be talking about, you know, a variety of news and developments across global business. And we've got a couple of great guest speakers as we've got uh, Laura and Dustin with Boston Consulting Group joining us here about 12.25 p.m. Eastern time. Finally, hey, Dino, if folks are listening to the podcast replay, which we usually drop this on Friday mornings, they should consider joining us and give us their take live. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah, they should. It's uh, it's always a great way to share your thoughts and conversation. So, Constantine, you know, one of the things we're most passionate about here is sharing resources. We've got some great perspective in just a moment joining us. That, that, that'll be uh, offering up some real actionable insights for supply chain pros around Thank the globe. You. But I want to share, Constantine, we had a wonderful edition of With That Said, Go Out. Sunday morning. I don't know if you got a chance to read that, but Constantine, it was very practical. It was around yes. lean thinking, kind of what it means. It shared some fundamentals, stuff folks could put into action right away, right? You know, the thing I liked the most was the 5S methodology, which is the way I try to work on my desk. Sort, set, shine, standardize, sustain. That That's like perfect. That does, mm. that puts the mold. I think that's a fantastic way to start your day. <laughs> I appreciate that. And you know, what Dino is sharing is one of three tips or tools or lean approaches we put in the newsletter. My favorite Dino was the immense value. Once an, an individual or a team member or a whole team really understands what waste is and all of its different forms. I mean, it, it's life-changing and that might sound dramatic, but it's not, it's real. So y'all check that out. We've got the link to uh, with that said in the comments. And then also, Hey, join us tomorrow as we, we've got a great webinar conversation teed up with our friends at Supply Pike. Three proven strategies to level up your business with Walmart. 12 noon tomorrow. Now, Dina, as we've been talking about, if you can do business successfully with Walmart, you can probably do business successfully with a lot of folks. Would you agree? Absolutely. Top supply chain. You can't beat that one. Check out with that said. And then, of course, check out tomorrow's live webinar as well. All right, man, we got a lot to get into here today. Dino, what do you think is probably the number one topic dominating a lot of industry minds right now? Mm, one word, strike. Yes. Right? Strike. 
And unfortunately, it is ongoing, right? No, no resolution yet, but there's a little bit of good news and we're going to get into that too. So let's update everybody on what's going on with automotive strikes. So the United Auto Workers labor strike expanded last week as workers from 38 automotive parts distribution centers across 20 states joined in the effort. Now with that, you've got about 13% of UAW's members participating in the strike. The D.C. workers impacted General Motors and Stellantis. 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 We'll go with that. Stellantis. Okay. As the UAW intentionally did not target Ford because they've said negotiations have made progress with that automaker. Now, suppliers to the big three automotive companies are starting to weigh in. From our friends at Supply Chain Dive, automotive supplier Borg Warner stated in a recent filing that the company only expects a relatively modest, quote unquote, impact from the labor strikes at this time. But the company added if the strikes go on for several more weeks or if they expand, which they did, of course, on Friday, then the impact will be much, much larger. Now, Constantine, the UAW is pushing for more pay and benefits, like most folks know. But one important thing that other folks may not know is that the labor union is going after the ability to represent workers at 10 electric vehicle battery factories across the country, which will be more and more important as consumer and industry shifts continue. So, Dino, your thoughts here on the current automotive strike situation? Well, I think they're being a little bit positive here at Borg Warner because one of the things that they mentioned in the article is that the battery systems is becoming a much bigger part of their business over time. Right. And so that's one of the major contentions of this, of the strike, right? Where the cost, you know, there's less labor involved with these EV vehicles. And so as these things are shifting, this is reminiscent of all these other changes that we see in supply chains when you're, when you're going from an old technology to new technology and how are you changing the way you're manufacturing. And this is going to be a real pivotal decision as to how this thing works itself out, because it could be a permanence in the way people do manufacturing, the impact of the UAW, what their significance is. There's a lot riding here politically and economically. You know, excellent point. And it's historical in a number of different ways. I, I was reading earlier today, Dino, the president is, I think for the first time, we're going to have a sitting president visit the strikes, the picket lines. And, you know, clearly they're making progress, the UAW and Ford, but folks are saying that the GM Stellantis, they are still miles and miles apart with what uh, the two sides are, are negotiating through. So, Dino, let's break out your crystal ball. All right. Now, if you're, if it's like mine, mine's been broken for years now, right? And I haven't been able to return it. I don't have the freedom to repair it. If you had just a way in, when do you think the strike will be resolved? Do you think, you know, as Borg Warner was talking about, if it goes on weeks, massive disruption, or do you think perhaps we have a big breakthrough this week or next week? I think the big three will probably negotiate something in the short term. And in the background, we're going to see these long-term shifts. It's because mm -hmm. Companies like Tesla and there's others, Rivian, that are emerging, they don't have to worry about this, right? So this is kind of a legacy approach to what was back in the day when, when automakers came into play and they had a much bigger role and the impact of, of unions, which we've seen dramatically has changed. Right. There's some new kids on the block that are saying we do it differently. Now, they also have said that Tesla, that if they did 
uh, I think it was the GM CEO that was on the CBS Morning News said that if we did negotiate and we gave them what they wanted, they'd be being paid twice as much as what Tesla employees are getting mm. paid. So what does that tell you? I mean, is that a permanence to the way automakers are going to have to go if they're going to stick to EV? And so this is, again, like what I was trying to say before, if, if they're all going towards EV and they all want to make that as part of the wider sustainability and green efforts that we're talking about, well, then the market shift here and mm. the structure that exists, there's something it's got to give. Excellent point. You know, and, that, and that's unfortunate, right? Because that's people's jobs and it's right. their living. But what can you do? A, a ton at stake, to your point. And I'll go back here in Georgia, where I'm based, as we mentioned. But, you know, those EV batteries, there, there's, been, uh, there's been one Rivian plant that's supposed to you know, create about 6,000 jobs here in Georgia. And there's been two other, if not three other, really big EV plants announced, like Megasites, that's going to mm-hmm. create thousands of jobs. So to your point, you know, a lot of these EV plants are joint projects between Korean companies and the big automakers. And so naturally, if the UAW is able to get one of their demands, that opens up you know, a brand new chapter for labor unions in that segment that, to your point, has been largely you know, they haven't been a part of. So we'll see. We're going to keep our finger on the pulse and continue to update as things develop. All right, really quick, moving along. Big thanks to Catherine and Amanda behind the scenes, helping to make production happen. Great to see you, Catherine. Okay, so Constantine, are you ready to move along? I'm ready. I'm ready. (laughs) Okay. Man, (laughs) you got a frog in your throat, my friend. You need more? You need that seventh cup of coffee. Uh, (laughs) So in our second story, I want to talk about Amazon and an interesting new competitive twist as reported by our friends at the Wall Street Journal. Now, the big A is still figuring out a strategy to rebuff new growing competitors in the e-commerce space. So Shine and Timu are two companies that specialize in offering customers great deals if they're willing to wait for the products. That's right. It's 2005 again because as their customers are good with waiting a week or two, for their orders to arrive. So Americans clearly, Dino, it's resonating because uh, Americans are more than willing to give Shining Timo a shot as their website traffic shows a massive increase in visitors. In fact, U.S. consumer visits to Timu grew tenfold from September 2022 to March 2023. But as we know, the big A is still the big A. Amazon is still Amazon. And industry analysts say that it's a safe bet that the retail giant will still maintain it's close to a 40% stranglehold on the e-commerce market through at least 2024. But you know, Dino, Amazon is not taking that for granted. I'm sure they're losing some sleep, a little sleep at night, because, you know, here in this story, it's Shine and Timu, but everyone is competing to some degree with Amazon. Your thoughts on Americans' willingness to wait with these other two competitors? Uh, well, I think it's, again, the supply and demand here of what I'm looking to buy on these sites. I'll confess, I went onto these sites for the first time over the weekend, and I got a very much kind of shop feel, like discount shopping, get you this coupon. It's a very different experience and purpose than say what people are going to go to Amazon for. And I think then you're dealing with this trade-off of, yeah, I'm willing to wait because like it's what they're saying in the article, because it's cheaper and okay, maybe I'll get this. But if you're dealing with, you know, delivery, 
knowing you're going to get it on time, all the options that I have, all the services that Amazon provides behind the scenes, that's why they're probably not nervous. But you're going to keep seeing this pop up. And, you know, we'll see what happens here. But I use my wife as a guidepost. I said, hon, have you have you gone to these sites? She had said I, she had never heard. Of them. So I don't know. I mean, maybe now over Christmas time as it's coming, maybe this will be a big spike. I don't mm. know. Maybe we'll see. I'm going to place an order with one of these sites this week because to your point from what I gather from this article and some others, <laughs> other takes is that the service levels, you know, you, you shouldn't expect Amazon service and visibility into where things are. And of course, as we talked about, it's not next day or next two days. That Constantine is something that to me is a bit refreshing. You know, I like the fact because it kind of runs counter to where we are as a society. Mm-hmm. With folks okay with not getting that bag of socks, of seven pairs of socks, waiting a week or two rather than demanding to get them the next day. That takes some of the pressure off global supply chains. I think that's a great thing. Yeah. Well, and again, it, it's, I guess, part of Amazon's strategy is to own it from, from, you know, from shipment to delivery. And, you know, I have an Amazon logistics facility very close to my house. I'm getting used to same day delivery. I mean, that's just insane, right? Within yeah. hours of ordering something. So again, it goes back to the tastes and preferences. And then it goes to, okay, what am I willing to wait for? And what am I not willing to wait for? Mm. And, you know, we'll see, we'll see how this unfolds. But I think they're just, you know, they're just trying to, to make some noise here. And, and, and obviously there's some cool things that they're offering that people are paying attention to. And the driving revenues, they're creating a customer base. I love it. I think the other thing we're forgetting here too, yes. and we want to make sure that we throw that in there, is there's also the issue of questionable quality, right? And then also the supply chain and some of the stuff that's being talked about now with the Uyghur law and, and some of those concerns there too in terms of transparency. Yep. So, you know, the whole thing with Alibaba, like you, you don't even hear about that anymore. So these pop-ups of, since these are very focused in China, that's going to weigh heavily too. And what the competition is and what third-party vendors can do to sell on these sites, you know, cause that's, that's a whole other part of the business, like 40% of Amazon's business. So yeah. I don't know. I mean, it, it goes down to what your preference is and what you, how you want to buy online. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. As it always does. And we're also going to be talking a lot more about inflation because costs are up everywhere. You know, Constantine, before we bring on our two uh, outstanding featured guests here in a, in a couple minutes. I've already put it out there. I'm a big Costco fan, right? I'm, I really enjoy the shopping experience being a Costco member, right? And we were there this weekend and goodness gracious, lots of deals, but what is not up Dino, except my holiday budget. My budget is shrinking. Can you relate to this? Definitely. I can relate to it. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it, I mean, every, from gas to energy, you know, after about 12 months of us getting a handle on just the rate of inflation, right? In July and August, that core metric rose two months in a row. So I hope we'll, we'll see what the September numbers bring, but Dina, probably more of the same. Is that what you're thinking? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And again, I think, you know, you got the Fed being a little weary and they're talking about they held off on raising rates but then you know there's that there's just always this thing in the future people are just kind of not quite sure and i know we're going to talk about this in the next segment but you know they're saying inflation's kind of come off but you know with this expenditures that are expected in the shopping season i mean that is a huge time when when a lot of money's being spent so that could 
that could also create an increase. Who knows? That's right. And one last note, you're talking about the shopping season you know, peak. And we were talking about Amazon earlier. I was reading, Constantine, that Amazon, despite what you hear, they're expecting a big season. If you look at their seasonal hiring, they're well over last year's in terms of the seasonal employees that they're bringing in to help with the massive volume. So that's that's a good sign. That's good news, don't you think? Except for the... Uh, those that, that have to manage that budget, the, the holiday budget, huh? I feel a lot yes. of pain there, Dino. Absolutely. It's always painful around that time because then there's always more on the, on the shopping list now. But when you, got, when you got kids that are in college, that's a different type of Ooh. ask. <laughs> the Man. shopping list, uh, you know, the kids that are younger like yours. So again, it's, it's interesting. I'm not wishing time away. In fact, I'm praying it goes slower and slower uh, for a variety <laughs> of reasons. All right. Well, I am excited, Constantine, that to well, really have enjoyed our, our pre-show conversations with our guests here. So uh, if you're good with it, anything you want to tackle before we bring on Laura and Dustin? I'm looking forward to hear what these pundits have to say, Boston Consulting. I am too. The mountain movers that they are. So welcome in Laura Giuliano, Managing Director and Senior Partner with Boston Consulting Group and her colleague, Dustin Burke, Managing Director and Senior Partner also with BCG. Hey, hey, Laura, how you doing? Excellent. How are you, Scott? I am doing wonderful. And Dustin, welcome in. How you doing? I'm doing well as well. Hi, Scott. Great to see y'all. Really have enjoyed our pre-show conversations and we got a lot to get to here today. But Dino, we got a fun warm-up question we're going to have a little bit of fun with as we were doing our homework, Laura, gathering some intel on both you and Dustin. So this is where we're going to start. So over the weekend, Constantine, Laura, and Dustin, I was watching that 1990 popular movie, Days of Thunder, right? Tom Cruise plays Cole Trickle, if y'all remember that, right? He battles it out on NASCAR circuit. And so with that as a backdrop, it got me thinking, the panel here, do we have a need for speed? I'm kind of in the middle right? Not too fast, not too slow, right? I ride a few roller coasters. I liked them better as a kid than I do as an adult. But I want to pose this question. Laura, I'm going to start with you because we got a little homework. We had a little insider's intel, inside baseball with Laura. So do you have a need for speed or do you avoid any thrill rides and life in the fast lane in general? Laura? Well, I'll tell you, in my younger years, 100% needed speed. I think as I've gotten older, uh, I need to slow down a little bit. I can hear my bones get out of bed every morning. And so it's got to be a little more measured in my movements. But love everything having to do with professional racing. I'm a bit more of a formula person than, than NASCAR. Had a great time watching the Gran Turismo movie this weekend with my kids. When I, in my younger days, I yeah. actually had a wonderful opportunity to do some performance driving, mostly with Audi Club back before I had kids and learned that I was not immortal, but <laughs> definitely enjoyed racing some of the best road tracks in the U.S., learning the line, understanding contact patches around the turns. And I use a lot of those metaphors in my life today, even though I haven't, haven't been at high speed behind the wheel in a few years at this point. Man, Laura. All right, so we're gonna have to have you back. We gotta dive into that chapter and get all the uh, all the stories you can't share here today. That is really fascinating, Dino. We're gonna need tips from Laura in terms of how to Bo and Luke duke it around the interstates around Atlanta. How's that sound? Sounds great. <laughs> all right, so Dustin, that's gonna be tough to top. Yeah. And I only can imagine some of the conversations y'all have. But what's your take, Dustin? Your need for speed. How are you geared? My need for speed is pretty low. Like probably like a lot of you. My week moves pretty fast, going to different towns, hopping from meeting yeah. to meeting. 
you know, focus on making supply chains move fast, not make me not making me move fast, maybe. <laughs> but even on weekends, hopping between this soccer game, that kid's baseball game, I'm moving uh, fast enough for my taste most of the time. So when I do yeah. get to pick, I like to slow it down. Just oh, Dustin, I love that. I love that because as much fun as it is at times to go fast, I'm with you. Man, if we can just slow it down and those yeah. leisurely paces, whether you're driving or it's working Little. or even at, at the amusement park, those are good days too, right, Dustin? Exactly. All right. Dina, I'm, I'm kind of curious here. So we've got a, a tale of two cities between Laura yeah, and yeah. Dustin, right? So Dino, be the, the tiebreaker. How are you geared? Depends on the car I'm driving. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, if I'm in, if I'm in like the Audi Q7 that we have, you know, eh, I'll take it easy every once in a while. You'll punch it. But then I have this little golf R that I love to drive that, that gets me into trouble every once in a while. Ah. So one car. So it depends on what you're driving. And I bet you Laura would agree. On that. That's right. <laughs> I'm clinging to my eight year old GTI because I know how to throw it into the turns at this point. It's not going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> All right. So Laura, we're going to have to get some, some pictures and some videos of that. That's, that sounds cool. I'll just add one last thing here. So as I mentioned, uh, I have I, I found out, you know, I went like 20 years without going to an amusement park. And then I went a few years back and I realized just how low my appetite now is for like roller coasters and stuff. But I'll tell you all this, it's not so much now because of construction, all this stuff, but man, driving in Atlanta on like a Saturday morning when there's not as much traffic, if you're in the right car, kind of like what Laura and Constantine's talking about, it really can be a lot of fun. Always go to speed limit though, as I do. All right. So Constantine, Laura and Dustin, we got a lot to get to here today, but I want to start with this as we move along from the need for speed to the mountains that y'all and your teams are both moving out in global supply chain. So let's level set for a bit. Laura, start with you again. Tell us a little bit of information about you know your professional background and what y'all do at Boston Consulting Group. Yep, absolutely. So I've had the pleasure of working at BCG for the better part of two decades at this point. And the whole time I've always loved and been focused on industrial industries. So automotive, aerospace, agriculture, machinery, and really getting into the inner workings and operations. Everything from how you procure the goods, design, buy everything through the supply chain, four walls manufacturing, distribution center, aftermarket sales and service. And so I was lucky enough to get to take on a role uh, earlier this year as head of our operations practice for North America. It's a position that gets to touch every element of that chain and really dive deep into where the hot topics sit. And so I serve clients globally, really cross industry, but, but most heavily in those industrial spots. And I have the pleasure of partnering with some wonderful colleagues who are kind of the yin to my yang, as you've already heard a little bit with Dustin. <laughs> I assume you're going to throw it to him to introduce himself. You're here. We complement each other, I think, well on these areas. I love it. I can, I can definitely see that. All right. So Dustin, the yin to, to Laura's yang, tell us a little more about you and sure. what you do there at BCG. So I've been at BCG about the same amount of time that Laura has. My focus is similar, but a little bit different. I lead our supply chain topic globally, including leading a team we call Supply Chain AI, which is a group of consultants, data scientists, designers to develop digital supply chain solutions for our clients. My passion and a lot of my work is in all things distribution and logistics. So mm -hmm. network optimization, routing, whether it's consumer goods, industrials, distributors, and I also spend some time working with 3PLs and carriers across different modes. So pretty much 
it comes to things getting distributed and moved, that's where I like to spend a lot of my time. Outstanding. Excellent point. And, you know, speaking of, uh, we touched on that with that said newsletter on the front end, Laura and Dustin, one of the main points that we made in that newsletter is, you know, the overwhelming majority of team members, you know, of any organization want to be successful, want to have a good day at work. And really as leaders, the onus is on us to really enable and empower them. Dina, to your point, leveraging in part technology and many other things, but We've got some stuff to get into with Laura and Dustin. This is where I want to start. Some may claim, Dustin, that supply chains are arguably back to normal. Yeah. However, we're certainly all still dealing with inflation, as Constantine and I were talking about earlier. In fact, as I mentioned here in the U.S., the annual inflation rate rose again in August for the second straight month. Mm-hmm. So interesting read here via The Economist. So tell us more. Dustin, give us your take here. I think this is a, an article worth checking out, partly because it's short. That's good. And also there's a picture that helps. Uh, but what I like about it is it's taking a look at one of several supply chain indices that were put together over the past couple of years that tried to measure how well our supply chains are functioning, whether they're in crisis. And it basically shows how much of that stress was due to the various things that we all saw, but often kind of argued about. Was it demand? Was it about stockpiling? Was it because we had a shortage of parts and components or there weren't enough people coming to work? Or was it transportation costs? Turns out the supply chain stresses for the past two years was all of the above. You can kind of look at the data and see when over time each of these things really played out. Mm. The other part of this that I think is important, though, is it shows that stress coming way down in the past few months, down to, you know, what is normal. So what we would have seen before the COVID induced supply chain crises. The implications of that to me are that to the extent we do still see pretty high inflation, and we do, although lower than we did, you know, say six months ago, it's less and less about supply chain. There are other factors at play or it's some expectations on leading to passing through of prices in other spaces. What's also, I think, really important is it doesn't mean that the supply chain stresses are over or that we don't need to be paying attention to supply chain resilience. I think it means a couple of things. Everyone's mileage will vary depending on where in the world you're operating, what you make. Somebody somewhere in the world every day is having a supply chain crisis. It's just sometimes in one industry or one region. We just saw it all at once for the past few years. Mm. The other part is it shows demand going way down. So, but if you are now sitting on a pile of inventory or you're a 3PL and rates are closer to the floor than there to the roof, that is also a crisis. So I think that just means there are different versions of challenges and stresses right now in supply chain that some of us need to, need to pay attention to. And then maybe finally, the upshot of that is it's now a pretty good time, I think, for many of us to try to recoup some of that lost margin that we saw through incessant inflation and really pay attention again to cost now that we're not putting out supply chain buyers. Excellent point. Several points there, Dustin. Before I move over to Lauren and get her comments based on what you shared, I would just point out, I am never confused as a math expert. However, there's something wrong with that calculator in this shot. I don't think, <laughs> I don't think we're supposed to see words versus numbers. So Laura, give us your take on why inflation and, and crises that still are all around global supply chain, depending on where you are. I think it all goes back to the point that Dustin made at the very end, the fact that with all of the volatility and uncertainty that we lived with for the past few years, 
a lot of bad habits were created through our supply chains globally in the markets, individually with the way we interact with and handle the workers of our organizations. And a lot of those broken elements mean that every individual vulnerability becomes magnified in the supply chain world. And as Dustin mentioned, now is the time to really hit the reset button, take a pause, recognize that while there still is uncertainty and unpredictability, we have a lot more certainty than we did a few years ago. And if we take a good hard look at how we manage our people, utilize their talents, and structure the efficiency and processes of organizations, we can rebuild into a place of of more comfort and smoothness with the way that we operate. And performance and success, right, Laura? I love that point. And Dina, I'll come to you first. There's there's something I want to definitely circle back on that, that Laura and Dustin kind of spoke to, but Dina, your thoughts here. Yeah, I mean, one of the other things we need to keep in mind here is the shifts that are happening based, you know, for instance, with our conversation earlier with the UAW strike over time, how are these dynamics in the supply chain going to change with the cost of uh, labor in certain markets, also with where those products and those materials are going to be coming from, where manufacturing is going to be reshored. So it's interesting to see where this kind of pressure has kind of come down, but over the long haul, where where is that going to look, you know, what's that going to look like in the next couple of years as some of these things continue shifting, particularly in the EV market or even more greener or sustainable type markets where com- companies are trying to head towards. So mm, good stuff there, Dina. I want to go back to what Laura, what you said there, a lot of bad habits have been created in the last few years. And I, I completely agree. A lot of workarounds, a lot of compromises just to get stuff out the door and, and out to the customer. And kind of one of the things you're implying there, those Band-Aids, <laughs> it's tough to build and optimize and run successful organizations and operations if you got a bunch of Band-Aids everywhere. But Laura, give me a chance. Is that kind of the point you were making there? Any other thoughts you want to share? That was definitely the main point. And I'll give an example just to make it real. When we start to work with our clients looking at procurement costs being high, so the input materials direct procurement to whatever it is a manufacturer is making. When you start to look at the supply base, oftentimes these days, there are way more suppliers than there were pre-pandemic. Supply chain risk has increased. The level of fidelity in the regular supplier checks and sourcing mechanisms have gone down. The average tenure of the supply chain organization, and particularly buyers and strategic category managers, is a much shorter tenure because there was so much turnover at the headcount level. All of these band-aids that have been put on stack up over time and create an organization that isn't ready to adapt when the next problem hits, hasn't seen the issues before, so doesn't know how to react, have only been at the negotiating table so many times with suppliers. And as a result, really your spend gets sub-optimized. You end up costing more than it should to procure Mm. your product. Laura, well said. And man, that was a truckload of brilliance uh, you just dropped there. We're going to get a certification after the end of today's Buzz episode. Uh, I love that. Dustin, I'm going to give you the final word. We got one more really interesting read that we're going to get both of y'all's take on. But Dustin, your final word here on inflation and the impact it's having across global supply chain. Yeah. I mean, I think what we're seeing now is that you know workers are facing inflation in terms of their own cost of living. Meanwhile, for manufacturers and those in distribution, they're seeing cost inflation, which are the wages of those workers and how it all winds down and when we don't yet really know. But I think we know that it 
probably will subside. And then those cost structures need to be addressed. And I think one of the things that's going to be different now, maybe than what we saw before the upheaval over the past couple of years, in terms of how that's addressed, is a lot of those automation technologies. And it's related to what Dino alluded to in ED manufacturing. They're much more sophisticated than they were before this crisis. And they have a pretty good ROI in a lot of instances. So I think, you know, we, we still see companies looking at really investing in automation and digitization, even with and as the way to focus on reducing their costs. Well said, Dustin. All right. So, Dino, I think, at least for me, I think it's safe to say that Laura and Dustin's crystal ball is more effective than mine has been based on what they've already shared here. Dino, your last word before we move on to the next article. Well, I think what Laura was saying also reflects something you had said in the past on a previous podcast about the the retiring and the, you know, the baby boomers, a lot of this retiring going on. You got a whole influx of new workers that are coming in and now having to deal with the change, the rapid change, replacing these people at speed. And how are we going to implement these technologies and the automation? And given the fact that a lot of that knowledge, that tribal knowledge, how are you building that into these processes? Well said, man. Tribal knowledge is incredibly valuable, and so many organizations are at risk right now and losing so much of it. All right, I'll save that for another day. It's a great call out, Dino. I want to move into this next read. This is a really good one that Laura brought to us. Very practical read. I'm a big fan of practical reads, and that's exactly what this is. So, Laura, all of this discussion, I would argue, really begs that question, how can we get our cake and eat it too? Cutting costs while improving supply chain performance. This article via Forbes has about 14 different old and new ideas to to try. Laura, your thoughts. Tell us more. Well, I don't know if I love this article because it was just confirmation from Forbes Business Council members that what I believe is also what they believe is happening out in the market, (laughs) but a lot of similar themes to what we've been talking about here. I I think a few stuck out of the, the 14 or 15 suggestions in there, about half of them mentioned data analytics, looking at history and then utilizing technology to project and react going forward. And I think that's such an important element, especially as quickly as technology is moving the investment to put it in place is coming down as the benefit to do so is increasing. And so as Mm -hmm. you think about how do we actually cut costs, but improve efficiency, utilization of mature, but also some emerging technologies is one great way to do it. I think really good example of that is generative AI, which typically has a much lower investment profile to it and can reduce significant manual repetitive work that not only doesn't add a ton of value, but actually is not enjoyable by the workers. Some of the other themes that really stuck out to me, number one, the first one on the list that I am very glad was first is around knowing your customer and and conducting what the executive called know your customer checks. Oftentimes, a lot of the costly activities that a company is doing are not actually valuable to the customer. And so simply understanding and taking a good hard look at what does the customer value, where should I be spending that time and effort, and eliminating the low value activities are a way to cut costs but actually increase the level of customer satisfaction that exists. And then the third one that I'll call out, if there was one slight disappointment in in the comments here, I think the one was the fact that the mention of the importance of the team only came out really once around asking 
your team members and your employees for ways to improve efficiency. And every time that Dustin and I and our colleagues enter onto a site with frontline workers, having those conversations is often the biggest unlock. I hate to say it, but Dustin and I don't come up with the ideas. (laughs) We are there as the voice piece, typically to either the data or the customer or the workers on the ground. And so oftentimes you can cut costs by asking the workers where the inefficiencies sit. And you're both increasing their satisfaction and getting to contribute to the organization, as well as identifying those ways to improve efficiency. So well said. And I love, man, two quick things. And Dustin, I'm going to come to you and get your take here. But that value to the customer as they define it, yep, it is yep. so important. It is so important because we can fool ourselves. It's kind of you were implying there regularly in many organizations and many teams, many leaders do. And then secondly, yes, the front line are brilliant individuals. There's a reason why you know going to the Gimba is such a huge opportunity. You go to where that value is created. And oftentimes, Laura, to your point, they're the experts and they have tons of ideas that can impact the business. So Dustin, your thoughts. So Dustin, we're talking about a lot of these practical takes in this Forbes article yeah. here entitled, How Leaders Can Cut Supply Chain Costs and Improve Performance. Your thoughts, Dustin? Yeah, I mean, I think that's absolutely right. Yeah, One of the other things I think that's happening out there is that while a lot of companies are really focused on addressing their supply chain costs, those that have been reluctant or maybe haven't moved as fast as others are a little concerned about how they would do it because a lot of those costs are people costs in supply chain, right? There are other things we spend money on, transportation, technology, packaging, that kind of thing. But there are also people costs. And everybody has just worked so hard for the past few years to find and retain the right people. So rather what we you know, talk to a lot of leaders about is how to get the most out of the people they do have and make them as effective as they can be by making that work really efficient, as Laura mentioned, which also helps to retain those people now so you can really train them, upskill them in performing at the highest level. Because we agree, talent is still going to be hard to come by even if and when the economy softens. Excellent point, Dustin. A lot of folks, man, talent's been hard to come by in, in, in some roles and in some sectors for years now. Goodness gracious. And then, of course, as we all know, that's that's only added more momentum to that the automation that you all touched on that can really really help streamline. And I'm a big believer in, you know, I'm coming to you next, but open doors of opportunities, especially for those team members that raise their hand and volunteer are willing to learn and find new ways of adding value to an organization. If that's how you're geared, this is a golden age for your career right now. Dino, your thoughts here on what we're talking about, costs, supply chain performance, these ideas, what Laura and Dustin both have shared. Yeah, I mean, it's implied in the title that they're focusing on costs and improving performance. But the one thing I found missing was also knowing your supplier and managing risk. It's something that we talked a little bit about before. I think you intimated at that before, Laura, uh, which is becoming increasingly an area that a lot of companies are investing into supplier chain, supply chain risk management as it relates to the cyber, as it relates to compliance, as it relates to all these other components as part of the supply chain, in addition to some of these things. So that might be another added thing that you'd layer on top of the traditional operational model of cost and performance. So Mm. that, that would be my only comment. Well said, Dino. Laura and Dustin, I wish we both had another hour with you. I know that y'all's schedule does not allow that. I want to just share a couple of quick comments. And folks, I bet Laura and Dustin, they strike me as a type that I bet welcome a cup of coffee to, to talk shop after today's sure. uh, conversation or to talk racing 
And Laura, if, if you do, do happen to get any a chance to <laughs> any day of the week, that's right. Okay. I want to make sure folks know how to connect with both of y'all, Laura and Dustin. Laura, let's start with you. I know that I think we caught you as you're traveling through Atlanta here today. I think officially, again, the world's busiest airport that kind of toggles back and forth with one or two other airports out there. But Laura, how can folks connect with you and your team at BCG? Definitely on LinkedIn is the the easiest way. Follow me, connect. We'd love to keep up the conversation. So please reach out. And Dustin, same thing for you. How can folks track you down? If it's not at a Bears game, perhaps I think you're a Bears fan, right? No? I am, but I haven't been at a game in a while because like I said, I'm spending my weekends at kids' baseball oh. games and soccer games. So I wouldn't recommend coming to watch the ones that I'm at. So um, I would find me on LinkedIn. So you'll either see me probably at O'Hare at some point or at LinkedIn. Awesome. Dino, before we bid adieu to Dustin Lar, your final comment based on what they brought here today to the Supply Chain Buzz. Great article, great discussion. I think I just wish we had more time to talk in more depth than each of these. Is. So <laughs> appreciate the, the conversation. You know, even just like a buck doesn't go as far as it used to, an hour does not go as, as far as it used to either, <laughs> it seems. But hey, big thanks to Laura and Dustin. Laura Giuliano, Managing Director and Senior Partner with Boston Consulting Group, and your colleague, Dustin Burke, also Managing Director and Senior Partner with BCG. Laura and Dustin, we look forward to talking with you again soon. Safe travels. Thank you. Thank you so much. Great being here. All right. Man, I really enjoyed. You know, I, I had a hunch, Dino. Mm. You know, we, we were able to connect with Laura and Dustin pre-show. And I had a hunch that they were going to back up that truckload of brilliance and, and pull the lever and dump it on our audience here. And really, they both really brought it. So, Dino, one of the key issues remain, though. We're going to have to still navigate, continue to navigate our way, both as practitioners and as consumers through this inflationary environment, right? Yeah. I mean, that article with the with the economist is kind of leaving me hanging because I think there's this, there's this anticipation still out there in the economy. It's like, why are these interest rates so high then if we're still thinking there's other dynamics here that are at play that I just don't know if that article reflects that and I'd like to get more insight there because- you know, the, by the time you make a decision and react to something, you know, something else is going on. And, you know, that's just a snapshot in time. What is going to be that next six months? Is it going to be some other political affair? Is it going to be another outbreak of COVID? I mean, we don't we don't know. Right. So. But you know what we do know? You know, what we know, <laughs> right, that there's going to be it's, it's going to be something. It's so. continuously something, as Dustin and Laura pointed out. That's the nature of supply chain management and supply chain leadership. That's how it goes. I want to add one more thing to your final thought. We're going to make sure we got a couple of events. We want to make sure it's on our global audience's radar this week, live events. But this Forbes article, and I like how Laura put it. She didn't say this exactly, but basically there's no rocket science. There's no you know new revelations in the Forbes piece, but good practical ideas. But I think the one out of the 14 or 15 that were there, the one that, and it starts with it, you know, conducting those know your customer checks. One organization called it a KYC, know your customer. That is as basic as it comes, mm-hmm. but it is a basic step that organizations and leaders and supply chain pros miss time and time again. And now, Dino, the opportunity we have to also touch on something they both mentioned now that the world thankfully has opened back up is getting out, get into plants, get into those DCs, go out and meet that team, walk their operations. And in those conversations with the front line and those conversations with your customers at all levels, man, that's where outstanding opportunities for improvement, for expansion, for growth 
can come out of. And that's, man, I love a good old plant tour. Maybe boring to some folks, but man, I think my counts, it's over 300. I don't know where the count is, but that's one of my favorite things to do. Do you know your thoughts before we share a couple of events? Well, it, it really ties back to that Gemba concept that I'm glad that you guys presented in the, in the blog over the weekend, because that, that, that holds so true. I mean, there's so much you can learn from walking in someone else's shoes. I guess that's another way of describing it and understanding what's happening at the plant level, what you won't see you know, just on a computer and the data, or it, it may be hard to extract that and seeing what's really going on and what do they really need. So excellent point. It's a great way to understand uh, how, how do you know what you need to do next? But if you're going to visit the front line, be sure don't disrupt it, right? That's not the place to try, you know, interrupt operations and try new things, observe, ask questions, absorb. I mean, that's, that's, you know, save the rest for later. But that's where it's at. That's, that's certainly a big, big opportunity for more folks. Okay, so let's do this. I want to make sure folks, you know, again, resources, just like Laura and Dustin dropped some perspective that folks need to know that are out there moving those mountains. we got a couple other opportunities coming up starting Wednesday. We already touched on the webinar tomorrow, Wednesday. Get this, Dino, lessons learned from the Coca-Cola company on optimizing your tech stack. So join us 12 noon on Wednesday, September 27th. Hard to believe. We're at the end of the month already. And then, Dino, you and I are tackling this on Thursday at, at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time from Chaos to Control, best-in-class supply chain visibility. So join us for that. And, you know, one final word there, Dino, visibility, as we've talked about, is not enough. we got to have solutions. we got to have outcomes, right? That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Turn to those trusted pros that can do just that. And my hunch is... Laura and Dustin do that probably every day of the week is my hunch, Constantine. What you think? I wanted to hear a little bit more from Dustin on what he was talking about in that beginning, but maybe we can get them on, on another one. We'll talk more about some. I bet we'll have them back. I bet we'll have them back. <laughs> you know, uh, an hour, again, an hour doesn't stretch as far as it used to, no. I don't think, but a lot of good stuff. Constantine, always a pleasure. I'm looking forward to the rest of our live events this week. Of course, big thanks to Dustin and Laura with the Boston Consulting Group. Folks, make sure you connect with them both. Follow them. Connect with BCG. Check out the resources and the articles. Big thanks to Amanda and Catherine making things happen. Constantine, always a pleasure. And I'm pulling. I know, I know the turnaround plan for the Chicago Bears is coming. It's coming. Have faith. All right. Well, I'm just going to hold my breath a little on that, and I'll just hope, hope my Arsenal can can win a game next week because we didn't we didn't win against uh, Tottenham in the time. I know, zero so and three, man. But hey, there are better days ahead. Yes. So Constantine Lembrakis, aka Dino, thanks for being here today. But that last little note, that's where I want to end it, because there is reason for optimism, and I think a big part of that for leaders out there, and we're all leaders in different ways and form, is we got to act on that onus, right? We got to lean into real solutions, not just the latest and greatest technologies, but those real solutions that enable and empower our teams to have good days and to do great things for the organization. That, folks, Dustin and Laura both touched on ideas from their expertise there. Constantine made a couple of things there. It's, it's all about taking action, though, deeds, not words. And with that, thanks for being here today. Scott Luton and the whole team here at Supply Chain Now challenges you to do good to give forward, and to be the change. And we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. 
Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.